here, uh, and it's just been so good to gather together. And you know, one of the things that we were praying in our little staff meeting this morning is that we can see the seasons changing right before our eyes. Right, we're, we're coming out of summer, and here we are in the fall. And it's such a reminder that God gives us new beginnings, that he gives us a fresh start over and over. And it's such a beautiful thing to gather with the believers. And I feel that this morning has been so sweet. And I'm so thankful that each and every one of you are here. And what we did last week, uh, as we continue our, our, our study in the parables this week, what we, what we looked at last week was this idea of what does it mean to be rich towards God. And there were three ways that we started to look at uh, what that literally means. One of the things that we started with was this idea of you wanna, if you want to practice poverty towards God, one of the first principles is to be discontent with what God has given you. That's, that's a good way to be impoverished towards God. Another way is, is to really never thank God for anything, right? To, to never recognize from where it comes. But what we did was we said in order to be rich towards God, to be reminded of three things. One is that contentment. And when we are content, we are not letting the seeds of covetousness begin to grow in our hearts. We are truly thankful for what God has given us. And that enables us to start making steps towards being rich towards God. But also in light of that, there's real worry. There's real concern in our hearts of how in the world all of this is going to work out. And we start to think that I've got to do it. It all depends on me. And so what we said was it would be really good for us to remind ourselves of God's universal providential care, that God is feeding the entire world, that God is taking care of the flowers of the field, the birds of the air who toil not, yet have everything they need. And we looked at that, that big idea that God's providential care includes the lowest jobs that are out there. As Luther said, that, that the providential care comes through the milkmaid. You may have milk on your table, but who, 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 who worked to get it there? God worked even through the milkmaid. So there's this big idea of the universal providential care of God. But then we ended with this idea of remembering that not only is God expressing his universal providential care, but he also has personal providential care. And when we start to worry, when we start to sigh, when we start to feel anxiety of, of how is this all going to work out, that right there in those moments is a time to remind ourselves that God alone knows our steps. He has ordained our steps. And when we start to worry and have anxiety, what we are literally saying is that we know better than God. Why? Because what we say in our heads and our minds is we say, I know this is exactly what's going to happen, and I'm worried about it. When it actually, we don't have any idea how it's actually going to play out. God alone knows. Not only does he know our next steps, not only does he know what's going to come, he knows exactly what our needs are, and he alone is able to meet them perfectly. So we left there. So this week, in the same line of thought, this, this heart of richness towards God, um, we are in this very tough parable. It, it, very few of you, I, I believe, very few of you open up to Luke 16 and, start, and 1 through 15 and go, hmm, that directly applies to my life. <laughs> it's a hard parable, and there's some interesting stuff in it. So we will do our best to unpack this morning, but the major doctrine that I want to defend, and it's on your handout if you got it, is that the master we love most is the master we serve with great zeal, commitment, and creativity. The master we love most is the master we serve with great zeal, commitment, and creativity. And so when we start to look at this whole idea of stewardship, and in this one we're looking at the parable of the dishonest manager, and we can say that he loves something. 
He loves something. And I want to throw this on our screen this morning to just get our hearts and minds kind of prepped. You know what sin is? Sin is loving or preferring anything above God. Sin is loving or preferring anything above God. And that's what leads us into disobedience to God. So the three stops that we will make this morning exploring this idea, we will first make a stop to say, what is this as a matter of love? Then we will move to take a look at a business lesson because I believe that that's here in this parable. And then third, we will take a look at what I call the test. So first, a matter of love. Second, the business lesson. And third, the test. And so as we get going here, I believe there's something to recognize here when we start to look at a matter of love. And as we said last week, right, we desire more than God has given when we are discontent. And when we are discontent, we are likely to be dishonest in our dealings in an attempt to gain, right? That's where you start to say either one, um, God, I am not satisfied with what you have given me. And I think that's the root of it. But then the other expression is, is that I'm entitled to more. And we can't celebrate when other people have success why? Because we are entitled to that success. So we see others, others doing well, and we get jealous. And we start to think, how in the world can I get more for myself? And that leads us into dishonest gain. Why? Because we feel entitled. We feel that we, we, should, we are owed more than this. And so discontentment is a part of this, because when we love something more than we love or prefer God, it starts to drive us down these roads into sin. But the, the second thing that I want to put before your mind in this matter of love is that we serve what we love. You see in verse 13, it says, no servant can serve two masters. And, and this is the idea I want us to have in our hearts and our minds is that when we love our wealth, we love the freedom that it affords us. When we start to uh, love the power and the pleasures that it affords us, that begins to build this thing up in us that says this is a non-negotiable now. And the thought of leaving or, or forsaking our wealth becomes very, very difficult. Why? Because it affords us power. It affords us pleasure. It affords us freedom. And that's kind of the idea when we start to say, okay, how much can I get for myself as a means of salvation? We are hoping in our material wealth as a means of salvation. Why? Because if I have enough money, no one can tell me what to do. If I have enough money, I will never be in need and therefore feel like I've got to depend on anybody else. And you, and you love that. You love that freedom. You love that power. I love that power. I love that freedom. And the thought to say that I'm completely humbled before the Lord with nothing, that's a scary thought. If you actually did what the Lord said, and we, we read this last week and it was tough. We kind of want to go through, through that verse real quick. You know, Sell all you have and give it to the poor. That's like, <laughs> he didn't really mean that. He meant, just give a little bit, right? But when you think about sacrificial love and it leading to giving sacrificially, it starts to reveal what you actually love because we serve what we love and no servant can serve two masters. And I have this thought in my mind. This is, it's something that, that we say in our culture often and it's weird to put it this way, but I want to put it to you. Have you ever heard this phrase? And I know you have, but think of it with me. Anything for you, my love. Have you ever, you ever said that or heard that? Anything for you, my love. I say every morning on Sundays when we stop by Starbucks as I uh, start my process of worship. To my wife, do you want to drink this morning? And she says, only if we have time because hers is a frou-frou drink and it takes a long time to make. 
And I say, we always have time for you, love. Like, I, al- I always say that, okay? And so as I'm preparing this morning, I'm like, isn't that what we literally say to the things we love? Anything for you, my love. So if you're wrapped up in your wealth as a matter of love, you will do anything for it. And that's what leads us down that path of gaining by sinful means. Because we are, whether or not we're saying it in those words, our actions begin to be an expression of that term. Anything for you, my love. I will lie for you, my love. I will steal for you, my love. I will develop a plot to manipulate the situation to bring about the ends in which favor me for you, my love. We do that, don't we? And it becomes a matter of love when we serve what we love. And Jesus literally reminds us that you cannot serve two masters, for you will love one or you will hate the other. But in this, and this is a practical exposure here, and we're going to dig into this a little bit uh, deeper here in just a second, but this idea of our love is revealed in our expenses, and I love what Pastor Chris just challenged us to, to think through, to know where you are, know your current state, all right? But, but then what's, what's your budget say? And this is, a, this is something that when we start to think about how we can be obedient to the Lord, and we start to think about stewardship, I believe that there's a test here in this that our love is revealed in our expenses, and, and this is something that that's, I think we should struggle through and struggle with, especially as Americans in this, this culture. Um, because if you think, think about this for a second. If you think about God judging you, you think, okay, yeah, maybe there'll be a day where I stand before the Lord and I have to give an account of my life. Okay, great. But have you ever stopped to think of what if the only thing that God had to judge you by was your budget? Or let's say, more specifically, your expenses, because maybe you don't have a budget and you just have expenditures. If God only judged you by your expenses, what would he have to say? What would he see there in that? And I'm not preaching to you, I am with you in this, because it is something that we have to struggle with. I know exactly what it's like to have Amazonnesia. I come home to boxes on my door that I do not remember ordering. And it's really easy. And I need more books and I need more tools. And my family understands that. But when you look at it and the credit card statement stares you in the face and you think, hmm, hmm, that's a house payment. Or our case is sometimes worse. You think, hmm, do I stand before God in this? And am I pleasing in this? So that's weird for us to think through, but, but I want you to wrestle through that because in part we will, give an, we will give an account and part of God testing us is to look at our expenses and he says you can't serve two masters at once and what we will love, we invest in. What we love, we promote. And that is a true biblical principle. And when Jesus is saying you can't love two masters at once, you will love one and hate the other, there is application in that, but I want you to think through this that have you ever had the opportunity to help somebody, but with great regret and sadness, you have to walk away from it because you're not in a position to. And you start to think about why am I not in a position to be able to help this person right now? And you really wrestle with it, and it comes down to it, it's because you've been careless with your finances. Isn't that a painful thing? Because you're thinking, if only I was a little more disciplined. I could have been in the hands and feet of Christ in this moment. 
but I'm not. And I'm often, I'm often challenged by that when I see needs and I think, do I have enough money right now to help? And our, I'm not going to tell you our business, and part of it you're not supposed to let the right hand know what the left hand's doing. So I'm not going to tell you some of the cool things that's been happening in our lives. But there's been times where we're like, okay, if we do that, that's going to almost wipe us out. Okay, are we willing to do that? Is that what God is calling us to? And we have to wrestle through that. Sometimes it's yes, and sometimes it's, no, nah, we can't swing that today. But faithfully planning as if that is part of it. And, and I, and I want to I encourage you that, that if you have a savings or an emergency fund, there's beauty in being able to use that for ministry from time to time. And I'm not telling you how to manage your money. You do what you want. But there's been times where we've dipped into our emergency fund or dipped into our savings fund because an opportunity came and we could bless someone who was, there was no emergency fund. There was no savings. There was nothing. And in that, there's a beauty that you can do that. But you know what happens? If we're not careful, our expenses can be a judgment against us because we walk away from the opportunities that God would have us to serve and we aren't able to because we've been careless. Let that sting you. Let that mess you up. The next time you have an opportunity to give, and I'm not talking just to the church, just to anybody, and you have to walk away because you can't do it, think about it. Well, what were the things that got me here that actually prevent me in this moment from loving, from being generous? And be reminded that God will judge you on that. And here I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher here, but God will judge you on that. If his intentions are you to meet a need and you've been careless and now you're in this position to meet the need and you can't, does your expenses testify against you? So that's a matter of love and I think we do well to recognize this. But in this parable specifically, there's some business things that we can look at. There's some lessons here and when you read through this, you think, okay, what in the world does this have to do with me? Because what I have here is a case of someone who works for a rich person, and in their dealings, they're not doing well. They're mismanaging it. And so the owner says, hey, you're fired, man. Get out of here. Uh, what is this I hear about you? Right? Turn in the account of your management. You're done, man. Turn in your, turn in your badge. Turn in, turn in your, your computer. You're done. So what does the manager say? And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master has taken the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. So he starts to see clearly, though, doesn't he? He starts to see the situation for what it is. Two things. One, I'm losing my job. Two, I've got to figure a way out of this. And he notices that there is a need and a call to action. And so I think what we can learn from this, and I want to put up on the screen for you, is that it's important for us to take an honest look at today. And so I would say, look down. I think we see this, and if, if, if we are to steward well, this is part of what it looks like, to take an honest look at today. And, and as this dishonored steward did, he did it. And it's actually a testimony against us if we don't. If we are, if we are entrusted with the things of God, and we are careless with them, those who are in the business world who are actually wise with what they have, their behavior is a testimony against us. Because if we can't even be as shrewd as those in the business world with the eternal matters, we're in trouble. Does that make sense? That you have companies and you have businesses all over the place who are looking 
at this right here. In our company, the company that I work for, we have a model called Make the Day. And it's all about the numbers. We're looking at productivity and efficiency, variable cost per earnest hour. We get, we get into the weeds on everything. And when I think about that, there's great stewardship. Why? Because they're looking at how are we doing. But in this parable, that is exactly what this is. This is what Christ is communicating to us is that you've got this person who is shifty. You've got this person who wasn't doing right. But what was he doing right? He was taking an honest look at today. And I think that's part of what we've got to do because if we're going to successfully live out the gospel commission, we've got to recognize that there's ways in which we can improve. There's ways in which we're not doing well. And we should be able to reflect in and see, okay, Lord, in what ways could I get better? And you've got to think about that. That's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. And what happens usually is those we coast. We literally coast. We say, ah, that's good. I'm saved. It's good. Yet, we're not stewarding what God has given us well. And then when we look out around these businesses who are making, making tactical and strategic moves to further their business, to further their existence in the marketplace, where you and I, the church, are just sitting back coasting and enjoying our own personal salvation with no interest in giving sacrificially of our time, our emotional energy, and our resources to further the kingdom of God, then the success of those businesses and the way they manage is a testimony against us. This, this dishonest manager has something to teach us. And that part of that, I believe, is that we must look down and take an honest look at today. But the other thing is, is that we must have an eye for the future. And so that this is what we have to look at, what's coming. And, and, and knowing that there's something coming, we've got to look at today and then look for how do we prepare for the future. And, and I think that there's, there's some, some really interesting things when we start to look at what is God preparing us for. And, and I've had lots of conversations with people when we start to look at this and say, okay, what is that next step? And we do our best to walk in faith in that. But sometimes what we literally have to do is say, all right, all I know is that I don't want to be standing there when the opportunity presents itself and knowing that I can't walk through that door because during the time that I had to prepare, I failed to prepare. Whatever that looks like for you. I can tell you in my life, there's been times where I would say, okay, I want to do this. I want with all my heart to preach, Lord. But where's the door? There's no door. There was no door. And literally there was a time in my life I said, okay, well, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get a theology degree. And I'm working in the aerospace industry and I'm like, how does this relate? I don't know. But I said, I've got to be faithful in this right now to prepare for when that door opens. And sometimes God just gives you just enough to see a little bit in front of you, but enough to give you a glimpse of this may be something that I need to be preparing for. The last thing that you and I need to be doing is get to that door God's opened for us and look back and say, I squandered all the way up to this. And so we've got to look, what is it that I should be doing now and prepare for the future, to walk through the door that God is preparing right now? What is my part in that? Because we do not want to sit there and have sorrow for not being able to walk through the door that God has been preparing because we have not had an eye for the future. We never looked up. So I think part of this is as the steward shows us that we got to be creative as the steward was. 
and use our creativity for the glory of God rather than an attempt to manipulate and scheme for our future by sinful means. He did it wrong. Okay, the lesson isn't, hey, go manipulate, go rip off people and gain favor with other people and manipulate and twist things. That's not the lesson. But the lesson is he prepared for the future, all right, by recognizing that there was some creative ways he could bring about some means. The lesson for us is to prepare for the future creatively, to think, God, I haven't, I don't know. What might you be doing? What might you be calling me to? What should I be doing? And you know what? There is beauty in that because I don't believe that God has written um, 10 specific things that you've got to accomplish in your life before you die. And you've got to figure out exactly what those are. Because sometimes what it really comes down to is, am I being holy? And you sort of say, well, what's the next step? I don't know. But personal holiness is definitely part of it. But beyond that, there's creative ways that we can think of to serve God. How many different ways that we see that evangelism goes out into the world? Is there one fixed method that's the one for once for all? No way. There's creative ways in which we can get the gospel in front of people. And think, Lord, if you've entrusted me with this time, these people, how might I best do that? What are the things I haven't even thought of? And then there's room for creativity and preparing for the future in that. And that goes right hand in hand with this business lesson of use influence and connections well. You know, in the business world, that's a big part of it. It's not so much what you know, it's who you know. And if you think you're going to be successful without networking, you're foolish. Because there's a lot to that. But you know what? In order to be successful in the ministry, there's also part of that. And I'm not saying in the same way in the business world, because sometimes that can get weird. It can get very political. What I'm saying is that God has given us influence. He has given us a place and a time to rub shoulders with people. What are you doing with it? What am I doing with it? And just like last week, I shared that, that, that fun and incredible story of how God used one relationship at work to bring someone to Christ. Remember, I was telling you about that there was a man who I used to debate every day at work, and he went away, left the company. Then a couple years later, I run into someone else at another shop, and they're saying, have you met this person? They just got saved. And I, and I start talking, and they say, where do you work? And I say, I work for PCC. I work for Walden's. And they said, do you know this person? I said, yeah. How do you? They're my neighbor, and they led me to the Lord. I'm like, wait, What? And I called that person, I said, what happened? And they said, you will never know what our time together meant. That's using your influence well. I'm just a couple of months ago, I was in San Diego at another business meeting, and I'm sitting down in this hotel restaurant going to the depths with this guy who wants to know what God is like, who wants to know what the gospel is. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, God, you put me here. You put me here. This guy is sitting next to a me that's trained for this. If I don't take this opportunity, I am not being a good steward. If I would have just said, ah, oh, let's not talk about that. Let's just have fun and enjoy the evening. Because I don't know what, other, what everyone else will think about us if we're in here talking about God. No way. We've got to recognize the people that God has put in our lives. And we've got to make the most of it. Use the influence we have for the kingdom of God. Because I believe we will give an account of that. So the business lesson, take an honest look at today. Have an eye for the future and use influence and connections well.
because I believe that the children of the world sometimes are more faithful and deal more wisely with the little that they have been given than believers are with the little that we have been given. Are we dealing faithfully with the little that God has given us? Because I believe we will have to give an account of it. And as we see here, that's exactly what the scripture says. Verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. He who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And this literally is a test from God that, that we've got to look at. And that's when we move into our third and final stop this morning. The test. The little things are the best test of character. There was literally a time in my life where I had to say, okay, God, I have nothing else before me but to teach Sunday school. And I can remember literally during that time where I said, okay, I submit, and I'm going to be the best Sunday school teacher I possibly can be with no hope of anything else beyond that. And God blessed that. There was a time where I had to go back to work after thinking I was just going to be able to go to school. And then bills kept coming, and the retired life at 23 wasn't working out. And I thought, how, God, like I'm supposed to do ministry. How, how come I can't just focus on that? And there was a time, there, during that time, I said, all right, Lord, this is the season. Let me commit it to you, and let me do the best I possibly can with it. I'm not saying I've been perfectly faithful in all that. I have, I have been a poor example. I have lost my temper at work. I have... You name it. There's been times where I had to go up to people who I'd been sharing Christ with, and then I said some really harsh, mean things because I was frustrated and I thought they were dumb. And I had to repent of that to them. And one day, one guy read my mail to me. He goes, Rob, you're smart, but you think if, if people aren't as smart as you, they ought to be punished. I thought, that's what I'm doing to you? I'm like, what kind of witness is that? And literally, I had to go to those people and confess that sin. Because I was being arrogant towards them. So I'm not standing up here and saying, man, all my life I've been great and, and oh, I've been this perfect model of using my influence well. No, there's been times where I'm sure people are like, mm, mm-mm. But the point is, is that God has given us influence. And the little things that he's giving us, he is watching how we steward them. Remember the vine dresser? Remember that the owner of the vineyard came and looking for fruit. And he walked past the fig tree and says, For three years now I've come looking for fruit and this thing has got none. Chop it down. And the vine dresser says, Give me one more year. Let me fertilize it. Let me break up the ground around it. And if next year it bears fruit, fine and well. If it doesn't, then yes, chop it down. But we've got to recognize that the owner of the vineyard comes looking for fruit. And if you and I claim to be born of God, if we claim to be abiding in Christ, part of that is expressed in bearing fruit. And the vine owner, the owner of the vineyard, comes looking for fruit. So when we have little, don't think that God's only watching those who he's given a great amount to. He's actually watching those who he's given little to, to see if they are faithful in the little he has given and that's the test. The little things are the greatest test and the best test of character. What little things has God given you to steward well? Ask yourself this. What has God given me to steward well? Like you should take some time this afternoon to literally think about that. What small thing that may seem insignificant to me has God given me 
And he's actually checking for fruit on it. What has he given me? And am I stewarding that little small thing well? Because the next question I would ask you is, should he give you more? So you, you should ask this. God, what little thing have you given me? And how am I doing with this? And is it right for me to ask you to give me more? Man, have you ever thought about winning the lottery? I think most of us have. The odds are the same if you play or if you don't. But if, if you've ever thought about what would you do with the money, there's a good test. Think about that. Have you ever fantasized, what would I do if I, if I won $10 million? And I can look back at different times in my life that I've asked that question of myself, and I've had different answers at different times. There was different times that, and I'm still a little bit here, but God's working on me, that I would buy a lot of land. Full disclosure, if I had millions of dollars, I would have a legit Lewis farm. Is that wrong? I don't know. But that's part of it. That's there. I would have an incredible machine shop. I'm thankful for my little lathe and my little mill, and I do some cool stuff on it, but I would have a legit machine shop. And then I start thinking, hmm, really, what would I do with that money? And I'm not saying I'm perfectly arrived at a, a perfectly godly view of exactly that, but I can tell you, the older I get and the closer I walk with the Lord, the more and more those thoughts of fantasies become more and more kingdom-minded. And I start thinking, what would I do to promote the things of God, to invest in the things that God cares about? What do you care about, Lord? And how can I get behind and invest in those things? And I've got some ideas. And so I'm like, God, if you let me win now, <laughs> I know I don't play, but if you gave me some money, I've got an idea. But there's the thing. Okay, that's easy. Hypothetical fantasy land if you want a bunch of money. Back to reality, what are you doing with the little money you have right now? Rob Lewis, what are you doing with the little bit of money you have right now? And if you can't answer that I'm funding kingdom things, I'm, I'm supporting and investing in the things that I believe God cares about, you are wrong to think that he would be glorified and given you more. Do you get that? Fantasize about having a lot. Great. Snap back to reality and say, Lord, what am I doing with the little that you've given me? Because he has given us a little. And we are foolish to think he's not watching what we do with it. Because every time you see people who have more and more, who are doing things for the Lord, look back at how they handle the little on the way. And you see. You see. I'm reminded of several different people. I'm not going to name them right now, but I'm reminded of people that I can look to and say, man, they were faithful in the little that God gave them, and then God saw it fit to give them more. That's like a biblical principle, isn't it? So it's not just about money. I want you to ask yourself, should God give me more influence? Should God give me more power? Should God bring more people my way? So if you think, man, if I just had the platform, I would preach the gospel to tens of thousands of people. Well, are you preaching to the ones and twos that God brings to you? Because if you're not, what makes you think you could do it to 10,000? If you think, man, if God would just make me the CEO of some big company, the things I would do for him, 
What are you doing with the team that you lead right now as a middle manager? What are you doing right now as just that one person who doesn't actually oversee anybody? What influence do you have? You have influence. So ask yourself that. What has God given me? Am I doing well with it? And should I be asking for more? I believe that that's part of what we see here is that one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And Jesus says, if you can't be faithful in these things of of unrighteous wealth, the worldly things, why would God entrust you with true riches, which is the true gospel? And he says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is others, who will give you that which is your own? Then here's that that hard verse. No servant can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word there is, you cannot serve God and manna. And that isn't just explicitly money, it is wealth. And with wealth comes more than just dollar bills. There comes power, influence, freedom, lots of those other things that we actually love as a result of having more money. It's not money. It's not the actual greenback. It's the power, freedom, influence that it affords you, the pleasures it affords you. That's what you actually love. And he says, you cannot serve God and serve those things. And the Pharisees balked at this. Why? And it says, verse 14, who were lovers of money. So they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourself before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So here's the challenge. Here's, here's where we should land on this thing. I believe that it's important for us to walk away with this idea that our conduct with minor things is an indication of our likely conduct with major things. Our conduct with minor things is a likely indication of our conduct with major things. And we've got to steward well. And I think part of stewarding well is first recognizing that all of this is a matter of love. If you love God, then through that affection, through that godly affection, you will rightly see everything else that he's given you. You will rightly see the influence that he's given you. You will rightly see your intellect that he's given you. You will rightly see the money that he's given you. And you'll hold it all with an open hand and say, God, my self-worth is not bound in these things. My worth is in you. And as Paul said, I count everything else lost compared to knowing you and being found in you. That's the thing we've got to ask ourselves. Do we truly count everything else loss compared to knowing Christ? And when you start to ask that question, what should I do with my life? God, I wish you would write it in the stars and in the sky what I should do with my life. A better question, and I think it's a question that C.S. Lewis posed, is rather than worry about what you should do, worry about who you should be. Because godly people do godly things. And part of being godly is stewarding the small, minor things that he has given you as an indication of your readiness to steward the great things that he has. Why? For his glory. So with that, let's stand and let's close this morning. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for even this tough parable. And God, you know our hearts just as Jesus Christ stood before those Pharisees who balked at this, who ridiculed him for saying these things, Jesus directly and explicitly said, you type of people justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. 
So Father, may we be challenged this morning knowing that the owner of the vineyard comes looking for fruit and that the owner of the vineyard is watching how we steward the small, seemingly insignificant things that you've given us. And may we be faithful in those small things. And may we love you. May we love your church. May we love the work that you have us to do. And may the master we love most be you. And may we serve you with great zeal, commitment, and creativity. Thank you, Father, for your salvation that you've given us through your Son. And I pray for the believers in this room this morning that they will ask themselves these questions. But for those who are not yet believers, Father, I pray for them. I pray for their hearts to be changed, to see the love and mercy of Christ that awaits real sinners who repent of their sins and come to you with an assurance of being received. And from that, from being those who have benefited from the gospel, be ones who are qualified now to preach mercy. May we honor you as we continue to worship this morning.